0: Hello, my name is Clive Parnell and I am the host of The Little Breakfast Podcast. It's so good of you to join us today on whatever platform you are listening to us on. And we would love to interact with you and you can do that in various different ways. You can do that through Facebook. We have our own Facebook page. You can do that on Instagram or you can do that on Twitter. You can tweet And you can like, and you can favorite, and you can love heart on all these different types of platforms. More importantly, we'd love to hear any comments you've got. We'd also love to hear any questions that you might have. We can drop in some of your questions in some of the episodes if they're relevant. And we'd also like to hear any ideas that you have for subject matters. We want to build a bit of a community of people around this podcast and not just be talking to ourselves as we record these but be hearing back from you so join us and contribute to this too okay well I'm really pleased that I'm joined by Michelle Guinness uh, on this next episode so great to have you with us uh, today Michelle welcome
1: it's lovely to be with you Clive and and to be with everyone who's listening and it's just an honor and a privilege and such fun
0: well, great to have you, and uh, we've had guests from different parts of the world, uh, mostly the UK and in America, but I believe that you are in a different part of the world, aren't you? Where, where are you based at the minute?
1: Well, we are in what the French call a trou perdu, which basically means a lost hole.
0: <laughs> a lost hole, that is incredibly poetic, isn't it? The French can make things sound just amazing, even when it's a bit despairing.
1: It really isn't poetic to look at. It's not one of the prettiest of villages, <laughs> um, but uh, we are COVID free here and have been throughout the, epi- uh, the, the pandemic, which is wonderful because we're in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we were just so fortunate. We uh, have a home here that we come to for a little bit more than half the year. And uh, we've always felt passionate about France and there's plenty of ministry to do here and we just love it here and Mm -hmm. we were just so fortunate that we've got a huge garden and plenty of places to walk so lockdown really wasn't a great trial here.
0: Sounds like it's been a good place to in in a difficult time to to be anyway in somewhere that's been a blessing that's great that's great isn't
1: it? It really is a blessing.
0: We're called The Little Breakfast, we ask our guests about breakfast and we're going to be talking about hospitality so it seems only fitting um, what would be your dream breakfast? Uh, sorry, in term, not your dream breakfast, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm out of order here. We could. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead of myself. Right. What would be your average day breakfast? Are you a breakfast person? Not
1: in the least. And so uh, the French call uh, breakfast le petit déjeuner. Which fits with your little breakfast theme, and it's yeah. exactly that for me. It's putty. It's little. I, I'm just not hungry in the mornings. So if I'm in England, I probably wouldn't bother with breakfast at all. But here in France, mm. I zoom as soon as I get up. I have two big mugs of ginger and lemon tea, and then I zoom into the village to get the baguettes and the croissant. And yeah. uh, if they're warm, I've normally chewed the end off the baguette by the time I get home. So I will have crusty baguette and very weak. which the French think is perfect instant variety with plenty of
0: hot boiling hot water oh no that is that's not on (laughs) Michelle (laughs) I was was talking in a previous episode with Amy or Ewing and we had a really good uh, you know insight into Amy's coffee habits but that's not great instant coffee you need to get converted from that
1: well the (laughs) French think I'm absolutely you know they sit there drinking their Espresso's and think I'm absolutely
0: balmy (laughs) Well, um yeah, we can have a little chat about that offline in terms of helping you with that conversion in terms of like starting on a light Colombian uh, roast or something like that, <laughs> that no, will help you <laughs> that, that will help your relationships with your French neighbors no end. they'll be like, "Wow, this is incredible. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> so in terms of um, you, you say you're not that much of a breakfast person, but if you were to have a dream breakfast something, I if you just, like you were feeling really hungry and you're like, okay, I do really want a breakfast, what would that be? Well, I'd have to be
1: in Scotland, very definitely, because yes. there I might just manage a big bowl of creamy porridge, the way the mm. Scots make it. <laughs> and that that would be followed by um, a nice piece of smoked haddock with
0: crusty bread. That sounds great. And a lovely, maybe on a winter's day when you're really feeling hungry and you need something to satisfy you, that would be good.
1: That's the uh, only time I would eat a breakfast of that size. It would do me for lunch as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be eating it in 30 degrees heat in France, are you?
1: No, it wouldn't be my first choice, I have to say.
0: <laughs> so what would be your nightmare breakfast, the sort of thing you think, oh, no, I couldn't stand that. What would that be?
1: Oh, you know, when, I, when I've when i had to do an overnight somewhere and, and I watch all the guys tucking into black pudding and fry, big fry up all that fat Oh no, thank you. Just the smell of it's enough. No, my husband says I'm very cheap to run. Really, I.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I we're don't... all different in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I reach for the chocolate in the evening. That's a different story. Yeah,
0: well, it sounds. It sounds like you'd be quite an easy guest. So that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In terms of your own life, some people would have heard about you, Michelle, other people won't know you, so it'd be really good to hear a bit about your background in terms of your family, ministry, things that you've been involved in over the years. It'd be great just to hear a bit about that.
1: Um, Where shall I start? Because it's in 13 books. (laughs) Now, I'll try and be brief. <laughs> Bear with me. I was brought up in a practicing Jewish family and became a Christian uh, in my late teens, having read the New Testament. My friends suggested I read it because I was looking for more in my life. Uh, my mum has, uh, she's still with us at 91, uh, um, obsessional compulsive disorder. And it's hard to grow up with a mum. Uh, with mental health problems and I I desperately was looking for more and these friends said read the New Testament then so I found one with Lady Chatterley's lover on my parents forbidden bookshelf took it to my bedroom and read it by torchlight under the bedclothes I also shared a room with my little sister and uh, I wasn't allowed the light on after the lights off and I was just blown away by the person of Jesus Christ he was everything I was looking for uh, everything I was hoping for, eternal life, fullness of life, vibrant life. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's been very exciting over the years. There have been tough times. My parents, when I was baptised, told me never to come home again. Uh, but uh, months later, we managed to rebuild our relationship. But and, and then I found myself married to a Church of England vicar, which was a big surprise to me. I thought was condemned to a life in purple crimpoline. But <laughs> Managed to avoid that. And um, so, uh, and uh, the doors were open to all kinds of opportunities. For me, I worked in the media for several years, presenting a BBC lunchtime, uh, uh, local radio lunchtime programme. And then I moved on and um, I worked in the NHS in communications and public relations. That oh. was a challenge.
0: So, yeah.
1: Yeah it's been it's it's been wonderful and here in France just to tell you briefly what we get up to uh, we have something in our home we call De sources, two um, sources, because we have we have a little lake that has two sources. But also, we felt we wanted an event that uh, were two sources for the people who came: a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. And it's mainly about eating. <laughs> mm. It's really mm. wonderful that people come to worship, they come to share, they come to have fellowship. And then, I mean, it's French and English. This is once a month, and there are about forty mm. in our home, thirty to forty. I I make the biggest English afternoon tea, you can imagine. <laughs> um, it's wonderful because the French, they don't have iced chocolate cake. They don't have butter icing. And they don't have flapjack. And they don't make sweet things with ginger. So it, it's, it's quite a revelation to them. Mm. And thats we've seen all sorts of folk come to our door, people on their own, people who are having chemo, people who've just lost a loved one, because expats tend to be a bit older. Mm. Uh, they're retired. But then we have younger French come too, and it's a wonderful mix. Um, so that's one of the things we do. We preach in a lot of places. Uh, not me, Peter. They're not over keen on women preachers over here, <laughs> which I found quite hard to uh, submit to, but I do I go on loving them. <laughs> and <laughs> and the funny thing was when I was preaching at one of our home uh, sessions. The three men who are most opposed to women preaching were all sitting there, and I thought, "Thank you, God, that's great." <laughs> so uh, we have a lot of fun here, lot of friends, and many, many opportunities just to 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 be almost missionaries here, I suppose, and that would partly the aim of the object.
0: That sounds so interesting, so varied, and um, even just the descriptions of your. Baking is varied as much as your life sounds. <laughs> so it's uh, interesting, sort of, how the Lord just takes so many different flavours and sounds and smells, as it were, and mixes it all together, doesn't it? it takes our lives and, and uses these things. It's incredible,
1: so, is it? Yeah, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, I was uh, sort of struck by London afternoon tea can cost you fifty quid a head, and I thought, man, mm. um, I can, I can do this for a song we don't charge people anything actually and there's always been more than adequate provision uh, but it's yeah. it's very exciting because it started you know you st- hospitality is quite a difficult um, issue it's much harder than you think because you start doing your tea and somebody says well I don't tea, sweet can you do savoury so you look at the recipes and you find smoked salmon scones I can do that then they say, oh, I'm gluten-free. Can you do that? <laughs> I think I can do that. And then they say, I don't eat butter. I'm vegetarian. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah, let me think. Let me just check a few recipes. And then they say, and I'm vegan. Um, I don't eat eggs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it goes on and on. <laughs> wonderful. Uh, well, you just mentioned the word hospitality, and we're going to be talking specifically about why hospitality matters. And just in terms of uh, a lead into that, Uh, Grace and I, my wife, were at uh, Spring Harvest in France, um, LPO, as it's known to those that have been there, and uh, you and your husband were speaking at that week, and you were talking about hospitality, and uh, we found it really interesting because I was on sabbatical at the time and it seemed like and i'm sure you've had this experience as well michelle where it seemed like everywhere we were going it seemed like the same theme kept coming up you know so we went to a a church on sabbatical they were talking about hospitality we went and put on a a podcast or something it was on hospitality then we turn up at spring harvest and you're talking about hospitality and it was a great real really great week and a really great um to hear from god's word um What that's about, and so just as a really basic question, I suppose, before we get into looking at what the Bible might say and what what have you is, just as an introduction to hospitality, what what is hospitality?
1: I think hospitality is so much more than inviting people into your home. Your home is your special space, isn't it? And Mm. it's opening the door of your heart and your privacy, and the it's opening the door to you, Um, and it's. If you um, are, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, then you're opening, you know, he he is here and you're opening the door to somebody coming and meeting with him. And that is just one enormous privilege. Mm. Uh, I I often think that, um, you know, when we, it's funny, we're selling my mother's flat at the moment uh, because she's in a home and people are coming in and saying, um, oh, it's not ready to live in. Uh, mm. And I think, I said, why, why do you want a place that's ready to live in? You want a place that you create, a place mm. that is the environment that you invite people to. I mean, OK, you may buy a house that's ready to live in, but you're going to change things and you're going to look at what you can do that the moment people walk in, they feel, they go, Ooh, I can breathe here, I can be here. And um, it, 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 I mean, we, you know, we've had this old saying, the Englishman's home is his castle. Yeah. And... Uh, very very hard to break through that when I first became a Christian in in years ago but I think that has changed and it's now my favorite thing really is to um, just have people come and enjoy and to be Mm. and to to feel God's presence I mean it's especially you know when we have one of these events and I look and I see a man who I know is is having chemo and he's Mm. sitting on a bench looking out at the lake And you can see he's just enjoying being in God's presence. That just blows me away.
0: It's interesting when you talk about it being, you know, creating space and particularly in people's homes, because I think, you know, when we think about hospitality, it's almost like that word's been appropriated to sort of mean, Um, you know, people study degrees in hospitality, and it's almost like sort of a form of entertainment, you know, that you go somewhere and they are carrying out hospitality on you, for you, to you, you know, so that you go to a hotel, you go to a spa weekend. And I wonder, in terms of your description, to what extent have we lost the understanding of hospitality that you're describing?
1: Yes, hospitality is not a dinner party, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, people around here, we have friends who are expats and they, they've come from quite uh, responsible jobs and they do do dinner parties. And they're very pleasurable. But I think I'm talking about something so much bigger here. Mm. Um, and and I think, that, you know, that the cooking is almost... because it's become a thing and you can watch celebrity chefs and you've got to do it right and people can get quite um anxious about their cooking and their baking it's got to be perfect my favorite uh cooking and uh, and I I wrote a book called the heavenly party which is all about celebration and I was determined uh, it's got 50 recipes in it but a number of them would be just open a tin of this and open a tin of that and open a tin of the other and throw it throw it in (laughs) (laughs) You know, in our experience in ministry, too, I was thinking back over the years. And to me, one of the most precious, precious things that happened. We, we, we took in a young man who was being badly abused by his father in his late teens. And we took him in until he could find somewhere to live. And he had a problem with bedwetting and all sorts because he'd just been, he was just traumatized. And he did. He eventually found himself this, this tiny little bedsit. And he invited us for a meal. Now I can't even remember what he cooked, but I know it was wonderful. It was simple. He only had a two ring hob. And he put something together for us that was a banquet. Uh, bless him. Uh, he never cooked in his life either. And and that to me was the essence of hospitality. Um, mm. And it just broke my heart for this young man. I'd love to know where he is today, but um hopefully, mm. having been mm. in our home for a few weeks, you know there was a foundation there laid. You don't have to put on the most uh, wonderful of meals. It is very often if we have people who call and it's lunchtime, I just say, "Oh, stay, and you got enough for this, eh? And there always will be There'll always be something in the in the pantry, a tin or two mm. or frozen bit of this or that. And so I think it needs to be simple, um, because I think there's a verse, isn't there, in the Proverbs that's better. Better is a, a dinner of herbs with love than a feast with hatred. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah. You know, here in France, everybody's growing everything anyway, so you have the most yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing vegetables. Town.
0: Oh yeah. I've got. I was reading um, a book by Henri Nouwen, about hospitality once and i just dug out the quote because it it actually interestingly links in with what you were just saying there michelle actually i'll just read it and then maybe get you, your thoughts on that because i think it helps us sort of move into sort of thinking more about what that looks like in the bible um hospitality is not to change people but to offer them space where change can make place or take place it's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines. I thought it was quite interesting, this idea of, you know, it's not to change people, but to create that space, which you were talking about earlier.
1: Yes, uh, yes, where they can be truly themselves. I think there are occasions, however... Where we have certainly gone out of our way to invite people we knew were hostile to us in the mm. church or hostile mm. to what Peter wanted to do, not to talk about that, but to try and win a friend, yeah, um, and hope that by the end of the evening a relationship had been established. And often it was, sometimes it wasn't. Um, So yes, it's allowing people to feel that they are more true to themselves when they go that that that. that that's the whole point of meeting with god isn't it um mm. you don't want them to you, you're not going to ram your ideas down their throats that there, there is so much in our society and amy was talking about this now where we're not free to have our own opinions and our own mm. view but i would hope that the, the essence of hospitality is is, is exactly that that mm. people are free uh, sometimes they may express views that we think oh my goodness i can't go along with that but somehow we've got to. Even if we choose to differ, yeah. we go on loving them because because that, they're in my home and they have they're entitled to that in my home.
0: And you would and you were talking there about inviting even those who might be more hostile with you. I mean the and, and that's without an agenda, isn't it? It's not sort of saying, Well, I'll have you round to my home because this has been difficult and I'm actually going to do X, Y, and Z and your change. It's creating that space for what we would see as, as true fellowship or exercising loving others deeply, as it talks about in 1 Peter, in terms of not offering hospitality without grumbling. And I think in terms of how that leads us into thinking about the Bible, it would be really interesting to think about, you know, why is hospitality in the Bible? Why is that prevalent amongst Jesus's ministry, for instance? And, and you know, where, where do we see examples of that that can help us?
1: I, I was just going to, yeah, I'm just come to that. Just to add something there, Clive, that, yeah. uh, that it's very Jewish, of course, as well, to invite the stranger in. And mm. certainly a Sabbath, um, my dad had two non-Jew, he was a doctor, and he had two Jewish, uh, non-Jewish partners. And they always, they didn't stay, but they used to come in and share part of the Sabbath occasion with us. Um, And when I first became a Christian, um, there was one occasion when I was baptized. and I mean, things were really tough for me and I was very much alone. And the people in the church were over the moon, but not one of them thought to invite me around for a meal. So I popped around the synagogue the following Sabbath and I was inundated uh, because they knew I was a student. And they said, you know, it's just not right for a Jewish girl to be alone on the Sabbath. You must eat with us. Um, and I and I couldn't, I've never forgotten that comparison. So, yeah, it's there very much in Scripture, uh, right through the Old Testament, uh, the, the great festivals, the great occasions where people camped on the hillside together in large groups. And Jesus would have gone with the rest as a child, uh, three days journey by foot, three days back, camping all the way, eating together and then celebrating the festivals together uh, and the new wine flowing (laughs) baking the bread there must have been an amazing occasion wonderful smells you know and then of course they they would march up to the temple so it is uh, it's there in, in the whole of the old testament and then in the new I think Jesus then lives out his upbringing and what he's seen and we have more words that he spoke over the meal table recorded for us in the New Testament than ever he said in synagogue or temple uh, meal tables I mean I, I think um, John Bell when he was at Iona used to do a talk called Jesus was a fat man he <laughs> <laughs> was, was always eating <laughs> and um, I'm not sure he was I mean the diet must have been amazing mm. and, you know, the aubergines and the courgettes and all the fabulous fruit that they would have had in, in the Middle East at that time but I was very struck the other day I picked up uh, I was reading Matthew's gospel and uh and Jesus has just had a really bad time in the temple with the scribes and pharisees and it just this little phrase so he went off to Bethany now we know Bethany is uh you know it's a a, a two-hour walk out, out of Jerusalem. But why did he go to Bethany? Because that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were. That's where his friends were. And when his heart was heavy and he was heartsick, where did he go? He went to them because he knew he could relax in their company. So that's a different occasion. There are other occasions when he's, he, he, he's been invited to a Pharisee's house. And he has to be much more on his dignity because people are then invited in to meet the guest rabbi and to hear what he has to say so that would be a more formalized occasion Um, and yet we know that actually all sorts of situations broke through like the woman with the alabaster jar of oil who who was some kind of a loose woman and she suddenly appears and ruins the occasion for the host (laughs) but Jesus, for Jesus it's the perfect occasion to explain Mm. what hospitality really is it's about welcoming whoever comes and taking them into your heart Um, Mm. And then I mean, one of my favorites, I have to say, would be Zacchaeus, because mm. here he is, and he's at, he must have a guilty conscience, he's hiding up a tree, and he, just, he thinks he's the lowest of the low, and along comes Jesus and says, and this is the gospel to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, mm. and the lads are coming to eat at your house this afternoon, we're coming to party. Can you imagine, Mrs. Zacchaeus, there's a good Jewish woman, she said, you're you, you bringing visitors and I've cooked nothing, I've got nothing in the deep freeze, I've not cleaned the house. And along come these, you know, Jesus arrives with these northern oiks and they all <laughs> have tea, tea together. And, and this is the gospel to Zacchaeus, this is salvation has come mm. to his door um, because I'm going to eat with you. And Jesus often invites himself. Uh, he doesn't just get invited. Uh, mm. He just loves eating with people. He loves being in their home. And he's very comfortable in people's homes. I mean, he's quite comfortable saying to Martha, you do not have to be stuck in a domestic mould, Martha. Yeah. Yeah. Mary has, has uh, she's ch- ch- chosen true discipleship. Whether you're a man or a woman, you can follow me um, and, and listen to me and sit at my feet. Sitting at a rabbi's feet was what you did if you were their disciple. Uh, You followed them and you sat at their feet when they talked. And uh, that's exactly what Mary's done. And Jesus is quite comfortable about having a barney with Martha about it. He knows how feisty she is. He knows she'll come back and argue with him. And he loves (laughs) her for it. (laughs)
0: Um, So so maybe from a Jewish perspective, quite interesting. I mean, I did quite a bit of further study looking in Luke's gospel, particularly at what is called table fellowship. And I wondered, you know, for instance, what the examples that you're talking about are really great, really interesting. And and you can just tell just from the short time you've spoken of how much Jesus loved to eat and loved to be hospitable. And I guess there's a cultural element in that. When we think about that, um, you know, we could think about, oh, right, well, he's organized to sort of meet somebody in three weeks time on the calendar, and there's going to be four other families there or something. It wasn't like that, was it? Because he mixed with so many sinners, and there's a great significance, isn't there, in terms of Jesus eating, having table fellowship with people who were not seen as clean. Have you got any thoughts on that?
1: I think that's remarkable, and I find that deeply challenging because I sometimes, you know, I'm one of those people who I will slip into the other mode where you invite your friends all the time, and actually thinking about those who um, you wouldn't normally invite is is, is very challenging. And, and I mean, when we do this monthly thing, I must say then, I've no idea who's going to turn up. And we have had some very odd characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, um, that is quite extraordinary. He went out of his way to eat and sit with people that that you just would never invite into your home, certainly as a Pharisee or a scribe, they would Mm. be beneath your dignity. And, And I admire enormously the people who do do that. I mean, I think that, you know, the people who serve the food bank... Um, that might not be hosp- hospitality in the sense of bringing them into your home, but very often you are bringing them into your heart and you're saying, what do you eat? What do you like to eat? What can I get for you? What will you cook? Uh, isn't it fun to cook with this? I tell you what I do with that. And I think that uh, I, I admire those folk enormously. I write about it. Um, um, I was quite felt quite guilty about that and, and, and always have done. Uh, that I write about it and and don't always do it Um, and somebody said to me I go to a mentor and she said to me but actually she said in the body of Christ there are many members and you're a mouth Mm. a daughter said now you've got now you have it in writing mum you're mouth on legs (laughs) and and it's true we all have very very different gifts and I think that um, if we feel uncomfortable about um, inviting some of the folk that we might like to invite and we're a bit anxious about the risk, then we can get together in groups and do it mm. as a home group, do it as a small group, do, as, mm. do it as an extended family thing. Because for the Jewish people, of course, you, you had your regular celebrations in the home. You had Sabbath every Friday night Mm-hmm. where you always invited whoever was there and um interesting just to move on on that on a, a minute one of the things that I, I I was reading um something a couple of days ago well, I don't know if this is now and or in, or somebody else had said you know one of the great strangers in our home the the, the greatest strangers in our home are our children mm-hmm. because when we choose to have them we never know what we're getting. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we forget sometimes, you know, just give, you know, give them a meal in front of the television rather than sitting around the table. Uh, and we forget sometimes that they um, they are then going to become strangers again in one sense. They're going to go and create their own families and their own lives. We only have them with us for a short time. But what we model is going to be incredibly important. Mm. Um, I mean, I think back and there was an occasion where I did invite two young women who were homeless in with us, and we ended up with bed bugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. You take the rough and the smooth, don't you? Um, and so it's always a risk when you do invite mm-hmm. people who know terribly well. But on the other hand, we've also, like the young man I was telling you about, we've been extraordinarily blessed. Uh, there was one Christmas mm-hmm. where Peter had a, was was looking after a family where the, the father had tragically had a nervous breakdown that day and had to be hospitalized urgently. Mother couldn't cope. And there were these two little ones, and it was Christmas Eve. And uh, we took them in on Christmas Eve. And I was busy preparing. We, had, we, we were going to have 10 in the house for Christmas. Every year we had two other families, came and moved in for four days. Uh, these are friends. And um, I was thinking about that and getting ready. And there was an element of me that was a bit resentful that, that I'd got this interruption. And I've, I've really never forgiven myself for that feeling. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think God forgives me that I would do it so differently now. I mean, I did wrap up presents for them and did make them welcome. But I knew what was going on deep down, you know, that I didn't give myself 100% to that situation. And that makes me sad. And we do fail, we, we do make mm-hmm. mistakes. We, there's always a time when I, when I think I sit down and I think I could have done that better. I could have been more welcoming. I could have, there have been times, you know, where you resent the interruption. And um, I think that is, um, that's part of the course. That's how we are. And we have to acknowledge it and try the next time to see what we can learn and maybe Mm -hmm. do it better.
0: So picking up on that and then going back a little bit to that question I asked you, this isn't news night. (laughs) I'm not going to grill you on this one, but I I just want to tease out a bit more. I'm going to be a bit more explicit about that question. Um, within the Jewish culture, with Jesus sitting at a table with people who were sinners, and you've given an example of people who you've maybe not naturally sort of been drawn to, but you've welcomed into your home, and that's been great. There is a sense in which what Jesus is profoundly doing in sitting at a table and accepting a sinner. I think there's a model there, isn't there, of what it looks like for us to be invited in and to dine with Christ and to be in union with Christ. And I know that you've thought a lot and Peter's thought a lot about communion. So I want to just open that one up as a bit of a window here, as in I see a significance of Jesus' table fellowship, maybe mirroring what true communion is, um, I know you've done some thinking about that. Do you want us to just share a wee bit about that?
1: We were really stretched on, on this, uh, Peter and I, and my husband and I, um, just a few months ago, because when we went into lockdown, the bishops of the Church of England ordered that you couldn't do communion in your home, uh, yeah. and you went to do Zoom communions, churches went to do communions, and I suddenly realised how outrageous outraged I felt it was a total denial of my background for me I mean I used to be shocked when I went to church uh, and see people marching out and forming an orderly queue and putting on their holiest of expressions looking terribly serious taking the bread and wine marching back to their seat head down don't talk to anybody or else having a good chinwag with your neighbor it was (laughs) they're all and thinking this isn't what we did on a friday night when we took bread and wine mm-hmm. wine the symbol of joy bread uh, the symbol of work uh, and thanking god for work whether it's voluntary or not voluntary as long as you have it uh, or paid you know as long as you've got it and mm-hmm. and that's so significant isn't it now where people are losing their their jobs and um Passover, as well, of course, because the the whole of the symbolism of communion is there in the cups. Mm. Sorry, I'm going to have to cough, Clive. Can you cut?
0: Yeah, I only go. No, it's okay. It's it's real. (coughs) That's it. Real people. Real people cough. People. That's what happens in real life. (laughs) Ah, that's better. Yeah.
1: Um, for me the. The three cups of Passover, uh, the four cups, I beg your pardon, but the third cup, which is the cup of blessing, um, and then the fourth cup, the cup of God's wrath, uh, and Jesus goes out into Gethsemane, it's the final cup, and takes it upon himself. The symbolism is so rich in Passover, mm-hmm. and it's so clear that he does it as part of a meal and he does it with his disciples now i don't think it was just those guys who were there there'd be women there there'd be children there there'd be others milling around um it would be very open because mm. these occasions were and to be told you couldn't then do that in your own home um mm. at all because for me it's always been an essential part of the meal and there've been a number of occasions where we actually We've known in advance we were going to do communion at the meal table, but sometimes we've done it completely spontaneously with with Mm. people who are there. It's just been obvious we needed to do it. I mean, if you're in my home on a Friday night, you'll automatically do it, and we'll sing, and and the kids will do a bit of dancing if the kids are there. Um, And I I, I found this quote a while back, and I just jotted it down because I, I just think it's wonderful. Do we limit celebration of our faith? when we take hospitality out of communion and consume bread and wine in a sterile environment that disconnects us from enjoyment of God in the midst of everyday life. That, to me, is what communion is. It's opening our hearts in friendship and relationship with Christ um, in that wonderful informal setting of our home. And so, whether it's a home or whether it's a home group or an extended family, it is just incredibly um, important. So, uh, I mean, Peter and I did a seminar um, on this for Spring Harvest, and we've had over thirteen thousand views. (laughs) It's just incredible. If you were actually at Spring Harvest, you might get one hundred and fifty in a straight. (laughs) But it's obviously an issue that's rung bells for a lot of people. And I'm excited about that because I think maybe we'll do communion differently. It will become part of our normal hospitality with whoever we're with to invite. No, we're not inviting Christ. He's there. But to say we recognize you're with us, we recognize your presence, we feel your love of presence. And, uh, you know, let's let's remember while we do it.
0: Um, so so do you, yeah. that, that, that's really interesting. I want to pick up on that. It's when you talk about sort of communion in more of a sterile environment, as opposed to one that's dining and singing and eating together, which is clearly a sort of a picture that you would have on the Jewish Sabbath. Um, is do you think that what we're doing then regarding communion and what we're doing indeed with a lot of our hospitality? with a kind of Greek Western sort of mindset is it is a bit too reductionary then. Do you think we need to be a bit more celebratory in terms of communion and our lives as Christians?
1: Well, one of the things that pushed me into doing this seminar was, you know, Jesus said, when you do this, remember me. <laughs> yeah. I often think, what what am I remembering here? And what is everybody else remembering? What exactly are we doing when we take communion? Mm -hmm. And I think that because we formalized and ritualized it, there was a tendency for me in church to simply say, oh, right, I've remembered Jesus, that's it, thank you. And Peter was horrified when I told him that. He said, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, I think that we have devalued it in some ways. I mean, I think it's great when a whole community comes together to do communion, but I think we should maybe... Think more carefully about simply making it a tag on mm. at the end of a service. It should be more, you know, in the midst of the service or, or, or lead into coffee and biscuits or become yeah. much more integrated as part of our celebration and our lives together as a community or maybe, you know, look at doing it, getting round in a circle and doing it. Mm. Or we tried various ways of doing it here in, 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 in this De source, this two, two springs that we do in our home. It, doing it in a circle, doing it, uh, handing it to each other, uh, just, just trying to explore how do you do this when you've got quite a lot of people, but it feels like it's a vital part of our lifestyle. And we are welcoming
0: Jesus into mm. our hearts. I I think the point you make about what do you remember regarding Jesus is very significant because many times of communion in churches can feel like um, a sad funeral, as opposed to a time of celebration where yes, Christ has paid for our sins by shedding his blood, but also his resurrection. And now his ascension, and then one day his return, we'll make all things new. So, I think I think the biblical and theological understanding of who Jesus is, and what communion is about, and what it means to be human, seems to me all a bit integrated there, you know. And if you've got one of them off, or two of them off, it will affect, I think, probably your understanding of hospitality with God and others.
1: Yes. And I think also, that I mean, I'm delighted that in most of the churches I've gone to, not not here in France again, um, children can take communion. Who are we to say they don't understand what it is? Do do we fully understand what we're doing? But on the point that you're making as well, I mean, the Church of England, Peter um, just is horrified by this that um, you, in the beginning of the service, you do the confession. You confess your sins, you receive Christ's forgiveness and, you, and you, you, uh, God's forgiveness, and you move on to celebrate. In the Church of England liturgy for communion, they go back to confessing the sins again. <laughs> do you think, hang on a minute, theologically that just does not add up. Not you you know, you're, it's a time, for, as you say, for celebration. And thanksgiving. And I think it does help us to have children there. But not yeah. just there. They should be taking a key part in the service. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up taking part in the Passover service um, as a child. And taking yeah. part in Kudush. You know, the, the, the child asks the four questions at Passover and, and the children. Yeah. And what is lovely is if, if a child... to. We were, Peter and I were just talking about the first place we ministered in was a little mining town in West Yorkshire. And the children were completely free. And we'd suddenly find the children would just spontaneously do the collection without being asked. Or they'd <laughs> get up and do things in, in, the, in the service. They'd just take part. <laughs> Out of that church, I think about five or six people are in, of those youngsters are now in full-time Christian ministry. Wow. now. Um, because they saw themselves in leadership from day one. They saw themselves as part of that community. And isn't that what we want? We want the next generation um, to to enjoy our hospitality and feel they are as important a guest as anybody else in the church.
0: Mm. You've spoken a bit about... uh the some of the sort of biblical theological differences as to why we may embrace biblical hospitality or not what do you think some of the why do you think some cultures are better at hospitality than others is there you know what what comes first is it your biblical understanding and then your culture or is it your culture shaping your biblical understanding?
1: That's a very interesting question. And I think that um, I, I'm thinking already of when we were in Coventry, uh, we often, during Diwali, were invited into a Hindu, Hindu home. Um, and it was a, an amazing occasion, you know, a lot of dancing in the streets. And um, it was just great. Now, that there is is kind of a mixture of, of the culture, isn't it, and their religious faith. They're, they're completely intertwined. I think it's very much harder... Um, in in the UK, um, to do that because our culture mitigates against our, our religious faith, mm. and so what we are doing as Christians and what the Jewish people are doing, I have to say as well, uh, and and Hindus and Muslims is radically radically different from anything that we see in our culture, where you just go and get a takeaway. I, I used to. Uh, we lived in Lancaster for a while and there was a block of flats opposite and I I used to look in the windows and there'd be all these people on their own sitting in front of the television with the dinner on the lap. Mm. Um, And and, and so that's what we're fighting against. The interesting thing is though, is what happens when a Muslim or a Hindu says to you, what do you do at Christmas as a Christian? that, you know, we, we do this in our festivals and we do that and it's fully integrated um, into our lifestyle. What do you do for Christmas? So we have uh, started uh, here in France, certainly, uh, but occasionally in the UK as well. We, we have an open evening and invite mm. lots of people in from the community. Uh, interesting, here in France, we invited this year a, a friend of ours who is a Marxist, atheist, he and his wife, um he's scots and he's great art viewer and um what we do is we we share poems we share i decorate the house uh, with whatever i can find in the garden and we share poems we have more wine uh, a great big i mean the buffet table is heaving and uh there might be a very very short story uh the kids are fully involved singing we sing carols and um just do what we can to make it a magical occasion there are we do bring out light you know little lights and we light the trees around the mm-hmm. house and uh, we've got a big glass window so you can see them flickering while we're and this year, you know, in past years, we've had a, a sort of mini sermon. This year I didn't. I found three poems by poets I enormously admire, all of which stood alone as, as, with a great gospel message. So I could quite easily say, oh, no, but you see, this is poetry. I could say to my father's <laughs> friend, I'm not getting at you. I'm just reading poetry. Um, he was the last, to. he and his wife were the last to leave. But so we've done that so that I can now say to my Muslim and Hindu friends, do you want to see what we do? Well, come and have an evening with us and we'll Mm. show you what Christian tradition is. Mm. Because we haven't had a Christian tradition for Christmas or for Easter. Mm. Um, And so uh, we've worked on those because just as I used to, you know, I say to people, I tell people about Jewish festivals, I say to them, you don't have to do a Jewish festival. And it's nice to do it to understand the background to your own faith, but on the other hand, let's do the Christian festivals better.
0: Mm, yeah, um, that's a good let, challenge. Um,
1: let, let's really make them so that we've got something to offer our neighbours from other cultures mm. and of no faith.
0: Mm. From a lot of what you said in terms of having more of a rounded view of hospitality, thinking about how the church operates, we're in a situation now with COVID-19 where people uh, certainly in the UK and other parts of the world, the church uh, is not able to meet as it used to meet. And we can see that as a threat, as an opportunity, a challenge. I think there's something really interesting going on, particularly in the UK, in line with what you've been talking about in terms of how do we view meeting up with each other, neighbours, getting to know one another. And I think really God is really, personally, in my own heart and in our own church and our own community, is challenging us I think about what it is to grow as a disciple and so much of that I think has not involved the connecting in smaller groups the one-to-ones the two-to-twos the having a cup of coffee eating together because I think so much of church has become about the place that we go to the event the gathering and even like you say you know communion's done in a certain way worship's done in a certain way it's a quick sort of you know bourbon biscuit and out the door. So what challenges are there, do you think, now that we're in this sort of pandemic? And what opportunities are there, do you think, for the church to learn?
1: I think that um, we're going to have to act quickly because as soon as we have uh, finally got a vaccine, And as soon as we're seeing this pandemic off, there'll be a temptation to go back to things as they were. But I don't think we can. I think that, I mean, one of the things is what you are doing. Uh, We too have been doing our our group on Zoom. And we've had a wonderful time. I mean, yes, some people do uh, struggle with the technology. But it's also meant that some people who've never been to our home before are actually joining us on Zoom. So we're meeting people that we never met before and we find it quite important to um to do communion Mm. and to make sure that we all eat together at the same time we say right now eat the bread and this is what we're doing and now and it can be very very moving still on you know Mm. doing it live uh but not together we are still together in spirit the holy spirit isn't bound by the pandemic Mm. (laughs) you can get around (laughs) and and so I think we need to be much clever at using the technology we've got to reach those who wouldn't normally come to church but I think for those of us who do meet up again we are meeting again in France at our church we all have to wear masks Mm. and maintain social distancing and it is rather strange and forced I have to say because you can't touch each other And touch is very natural. In France, they give each other the bees.
0: Um, And that's
1: how the pandemic spread here, essentially. People were so busy kissing each other. And actually, it's quite a relief not to to have to do all that kissing. Um, But we do touch each other and hold each other and hug each other. And we can't do that um, at the moment. So maybe we will learn to appreciate things like touch, how we use our bodies, because on Zoom, you can't dance you can't move and um, I've, I've just been working on a sermon on David dancing and I thought the first thing would say that there probably is no story in scripture that more puts the fear of God into a man's heart and <laughs> he might have to get up and dance <laughs> but, you know, yeah you yeah, can, can cope with us being struck dead but
0: yeah <laughs> a bit mind, of dancing
1: yeah, rather struck dead than rather than dance. But yeah. um, I think perhaps we are going to have to learn coming back together to appreciate each other more. To yeah. uh, I think a lot of people, because, while the pandemic, while the lockdown's been on, have been checking on each other: Are you all right? Can I shop for you? Can I? And, and just be aware of of, of people and, and what their needs are. Um, mm. and i think maybe go back to the drawing board as churches instead of saying well let's just go back as we were actually sit down and say now how are we going to move this forward um mm. how are we going to be more of a community how are we going to be together more eat together more and yet still be drawing in going into the highways and byways and inviting and mm. in, you know as in the parable that jesus told that yeah. Bring in people who wouldn't normally come. How are we now going to do that? Because a lot of people who've never, who haven't been to church for years, have been watching live stream. Yeah, how, how are we going to cross that bridge and bring them in to a community?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. The week that we were at uh, LPO in France, Spring Harvest, uh, and you and Peter were speaking, and I had a question in my head all week. That I was going to ask you, and I never got a chance to actually even talk to you properly when we were there and ask you this question and it's almost a diff it sounds so different asking this question now we we have lockdown, but the question was how do we help people be more hospitable when they have very busy lives, especially young families? So I think the question still stands, but it maybe sounds a bit different in the light of where we're at, doesn't it?
1: I think it does. I mean, a a number of people are going to have more time on their hands, maybe for a while, uh, until work starts to get back uh, together. This would be a good opportunity, uh, even though you might find that your finances are stretched, um, to have a look and see how cheaply you can put food together that can be shared uh, as long as, I think you're allowed six in the house, are you, in the UK?
0: It's eight inside and 15 in the garden, yeah, at the minute. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: right. Then in that case... Yeah, how particularly in the garden, um, the weather's been um, pretty good here. I don't know what it's like further north. Been,
0: been not too bad, not too bad, <laughs>
1: not too bad. You... Yeah. Then I, I think look at you know in this time, this extra time that I've got, how can I use it, and try and get into new habits um, that are very different. I thought, I thought to myself. Uh, I've often thought that must be so, so difficult to do. But I've watched a little family here, uh, young two younger children, 13 and 11, um, and they were at, at, at breaking point just before COVID. He was mm. running a business from his home, and they're trying to build their own house, would you believe, uh, an mm. ecological-friendly house. Fabulous family, not being Christians very long, from the Welsh Valleys, and uh, love community. But they were just working every hour God gave. And they nearly crashed. And were all mm-hmm. for packing up, for getting this house and going back. And um, they decided that they would write down a new lifestyle for themselves. And I thought, oh, how long you know, will you live that for? But they are living it, interestingly. Mm-hmm. They're doing it. They've written themselves. This is, this is what life is about. This is what we want. These are the people we want to invite round. These are, um, this is, you know, we want, and they are, they're living in a sort of an extended mobile home at the moment, but so hospitable in terms of sharing what what little they have in that house until their, their, their house is built. And it can be done if there is real determination. If we say to ourselves, I am not returning back to that lifestyle. I don't care what doors open and how much more work I've got. Um, this is a, this is a, an absolute priority this is mm-hmm. a part of my christian faith it is part of loving god with all my heart soul mind and strength uh, and mm-hmm. our strengths the word used there is is me'od, that means much or muchly loving god with all my muchly So (laughs) with all my very, it means very, uh, with all my very, all that I've been given, even if that's a lot less now than I had before COVID.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How do I love God with my my muchly and my very? It's all that belongs to me. It's my home, my possessions, my gifts, be it baking or gardening or um, just welcoming people. And if I really cannot cook, you know, just with with some bought, the packet of biscuits and a and a cup of tea um mm. because a lot of people are on their own as well and and hospitality isn't just for families and couples mm. hospitality is for single people and mm. some of the single some of the guys I know are just uh, brilliant mm. at it and, and so mm. I think that it, it's going to be a determination not to be swallowed up in in the busy but mm. to deal with what is uh, all the urgent. But to deal with what is really necessary and vital Um, as as an expression of our love for God and as an expression um, because we love him, we love others, uh, uh, you know, and how we open our home and and make that time, Uh, even if it means setting aside as the Jews do one evening a week. That's all I can manage. God, I'm going to give you that one evening a week. That's going to be an extended family time. We'll start by experimenting just as a family, having time round the table on the Sabbath Eve. It might be a Saturday night if that's, you know, what you prefer, ready for Sunday. <clears throat> what sort of a week have you had, we ask people. What was good? What was difficult? What do you want us to pray for for next week for you? Some very simple things that each person contributes to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do it as a family. Practice because the kids will play up, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then feel ready to invite in the neighbours, and invite in your friends, and invite in maybe one or two folk you don't know at all, and take the risk. Mm-hmm. But I think until we start doing it on a very very small basis, uh, we won't ever get in to a discipline and, a, and almost a ritual of doing it. And it may mm-hmm. be Sunday lunch. In Peter's house, it was Sunday afternoon tea. Yeah. At our
0: house it was Friday night. Yeah. Sounds like that. that's really helpful. Guru. It sounds like when I take a step back from what you're saying there, Michelle, it's almost like we've got to form good habits and what we were doing before was quite a lot of bad habits. I think we were buying into individualism, we we're buying into a sort of um a meism culture like, okay, here's, my, here's me, here's my castle, here's my domain, here's my family, here's my family time and surviving in many ways but actually to create those habits which I also what I was picking up from you when you were sharing that was how our lives shouldn't be so compartmentalized I think there's you know that that sort of physicality to what you're talking about is really encouraging because it's like you know the much or the very is about with our physical interaction and our baking and our making and our shaping Mm -hmm. isn't it
1: I think there is always in us this temptation to divide the sacred from the secular. What is ordinary with what is holy and special, not just holy. I mean, the Hebrew word actually means set apart, special, different. And I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to integrate the two completely and see our work is special and holy. But um, our home, um, you know, is a place for having fun. And, and for expressing our joy. But it's also a holy place as well. So the two are completely integrated. And that's where the word integrity comes from. That, that's what gives us integrity as Christians, where all of our life is special. All of our life mm. is set apart for God. Um, and therefore, you know, if it's all set apart for him, which bit <laughs> should be doing mm. what, when? You know, some, some things I have to do, I have to get up and go to work, or I have to work here in my mm. home. Um, but what do I do with the rest well, here it is Lord what do you want me to do with it
0: yeah well it's been great to chat with you Um I have not, not made it to France this year I won't make it to France and I can just imagine myself sitting out in the garden having lovely cheeses and apricots and all kinds of lots of uh, fresh fruit that you're going to be having over there and I'm oh, not jealous it's of course amazing not. at the moment <laughs> <laughs> this is a time of year isn't it a seasonal time of year for those and um yeah I mean I do love, you know how can you not love french food amazing Um, it's
1: it's, it's great i know i'm so blessed
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it's been so good um to for you to spend time with us and so many great ideas and thoughts and reflections on hospitality and i know that's gonna really get people's taste buds going as it were hopefully um in terms of their totality and let's just really pray that we we will put um this into action. Even in, I think in just in small ways, isn't it? It's really helpful just to start small sometimes, isn't it? It
1: certainly is. That that would be what I would advise in terms of menus, in terms of who you invite, and in terms of how often, start small and then just wait and see what happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Thanks again. And um, just to remind the listeners that you can comment or ask questions on our social media platforms. You can uh, connect with us on Little Breakfast on our Facebook page. If you haven't liked that yet, then please do so. You can also uh, get in touch through Twitter, ask questions or comments. And what would be really uh, helpful for us is if you're on Apple, Uh, you can subscribe, and you can also uh, review and like the podcast and let other people know about it. We've spoken a lot about sharing today, and we really want uh, other people to engage with this and to share it with people. We don't just want to be making it for the sake of it. We want people to be blessed by it. So really go out there and share it and comment and like and all that kind of stuff. We don't want to over promote ourselves. But if you found it a blessing, then share it with others and be a blessing. Thanks again, Michelle. Thanks. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful sharing hospitality with you.
0: Yes, absolutely.